Hello and welcome to May I Have This Dance, a podcast from the Human Awareness Institute or Hi Among Friends. We're here because we love having real, rich, juicy conversations with people. We strip down with the people we interview, figuratively and only sometimes literally, to the undercurrent of what it means to be human through the lens of love, intimacy, and sexuality. As an organization, Hi is a place to explore and embrace our humanness. Obviously, a podcast can't replace our workshops, but we do hope that in these interviews, you're able to catch a glimpse of who we are and what we do. Shall I get started with the interview? Let's do it. For episode two, I interview Celeste. She's one of the co-founders of Somatica, where she teaches sex coaches how to do their job. In this conversation, we dig into her journey about how she got where she is today and why she thinks it's important for the world to think about sex differently than we traditionally have. You can learn about what she does at somatica.com. That is somatic with an A at the end, dot com. You're about to hear one of my favorite interviews in this season. So let's get right to it. So I would like to uh, uh, start by just asking you what your name is and what pronouns you prefer, please. Oh, I'm Celeste, and I prefer she and her. Where do you call home? Where 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 am I talking to you from? San Francisco. Oh, I'm just across the across the bay in in Oakland. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, Born here. Yeah. Um, what does intimacy mean to you? So intimacy means to me when two people can be really honest and open with each other about who they are, regardless of how it might impact the other person, um, you know, and be willing to deal with that impact, but not hide away who we truly are. So that means accepting ourselves and accepting each other without trying to change the other person or make them something other. I think a lot, a lot of times we get it confused with longevity, which is not the same thing. So intimacy is really being real with the person in the present moment. How do you think people end up confusing intimacy with, with longevity in, in a relationship? I feel like once we get attached to someone, we start getting a little fearful that we might lose them very understandably because attachment is foundational to our survival. So it's built in in terms of a need. And also many of us have been wounded around attachment. So we start clinging to the the idea that it has to last forever in order for it to be good and okay. And we, we have that message constantly battered into us in our culture. And so, um, and so we lose sight of the fact that what we really want is to be close to someone uh, as opposed to try to just log as many hours with them as possible. So do you feel that transiency, <laughs> if that's a word, is, uh, is actually an inherent part of relationships and how they work? Uh, well, relationships always change. The flavor of the connection always changes. Um, and so, yes, we cannot hold on to, like, people always are harking back, well, you know, at the beginning of a relationship, we had this and this and this. And yes, that's what you have at the beginning of a relationship. And then later you have something different. And the idea that we need to get back to that or that we can hold on to that one way of being together is the one that's impossible and can make people, everyone feel like a failure. But when we actually are with somebody as they are in the present moment, um, then we have the opportunity to really feel the amazingness of intimate connection with another person. And again, I'm not saying that like we're human. So of course we're going to try to create some sort of stability and we're going to, you know, cling on to things and try to make everything okay. When we get scared, like I'm human too, I do all of those things, but I'm talking about actual intimacy now and what we're shooting for. And that's what I try to help people attain in their lives as much as possible. You speak about this in a way that makes me feel as if you have really deep experience in this world. Um, how did you come about that? How did you, uh, where did you even start your learning process? 
Well, I mean, I feel like my whole life has been a learning process. I had parents who loved me extraordinarily deeply and unconditionally, and then each one of them left at different points in my life. So I dealt with a pretty strong abandonment trauma, which meant I had experienced a a level of love and intimacy that I feel like many people miss out on and I feel really fortunate to have had but I also experienced a lot of terror in the in that realm and as a result I had to do a lot of learning around it in order to feel good and safe in my life um, and that's been a lifelong process and it gets better and better all the time and I'm feeling very good about it these days <laughs> uh, but it has been a lot you know it has been a long uh, deep transformational process to get to a place where I feel so good. I feel like a lot of people are tempted to not do that work and to not, um, I don't know, just to bottle it up and continue. It, it sounds like you've, you've yeah, made a conscious a choice of- to, to face it and to take it on. Uh, was that a hard choice to make? had a choice in a way because I'm somebody who really very much needs other people. Some people are pretty good at being on their own. That was never my deal. So because I need people so much, I had to face my demons around that need and the challenges that come along with that need uh, in a way that other people may be able to, to numb out or soothe or avoid and hide away from. I just didn't have that option, you know? So, I, I mean, I can't say that I'm more brave necessarily than other people. I do think I'm pretty brave. I think it's pretty brave just being a human at all. But I will, Absolutely. Say, <laughs> I will say that I just had, um, I had, uh, I had no choice. I had to face it if I wanted my life to get better because there's no way I'm going to be without love and connection and sex and intimacy. They're essential to my well-being. Yeah. That is, I mean, you say you're not brave, but I feel like there's very few people who are willing to stand up and say, you know what, this is something that I absolutely need in my world. And I am willing to uh, put myself through the pain of of learning some really hard lessons to to have that in my life. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'll be brave. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. Um, so uh, one of the reasons we wanted to invite you on the podcast is that you have a really interesting uh, career that you've chosen for yourself. Can you say a little bit more about what you do and why you do it? Yeah. So I'm a sex and relationship coach, and I also co-founded the Somatica Institute with my business partner, Danielle. Um, and we both train coaches in becoming sex and relationship coaches, and we also have people come through our training who just want to do personal growth around sex and relationships. And we have them all work together in a very deep, mutually vulnerable way. So we do that with our clients and we do that in our trainings. Um, And because I really want people to have the tools so that they can have as much love and connection and amazing sex as possible with as little pain and trauma as possible. That's my goal for every human. I feel like there's definitely a, uh, a directional overlap between uh, the Human Awareness Institute and, and what you guys are doing, except it feels like um, you're more overtly and uh, explicitly talking about uh, the, the, beauty, the beauty in sexual connection. Is that right? Yes. We, that's, that's how I started my journey in terms of, I mean, I started my personal journey, as I told you from the beginning, but my journey around wanting to teach people was really had to do with sex because I feel like that's such a wound in our society and such a missing piece of a celebration that I was very lucky to kind of feel 
more of my whole life. I felt like because I was brought up by hippie parents, there was very low shame. You know, there was like acceptance of our bodies and, you know, more, I saw more nakedness and just sort of like all of those kinds of things. And I was also a very horny young person. Um, <clears throat> and so I sought out sexual interaction um, from a young age. And I was probably the more assertive or aggressive in many of my experiences, which is not common, I think, for women uh, or girls who are taught to repress their sexuality. So it was something that was very of interest and central to my, to who I am and to my uh, well-being. Sex has always been a huge resource for me in my life. It balances my hormones. It makes my, it makes everything better. Like it makes me be able to deal with my life better. And I have tons of sex. I love sex. Um, and so I really wanted other people to be able to celebrate and embrace sex in that way. And so I got my master's in human sexuality studies and I studied sexological body work. And so this whole practice, you know, Danielle and I met in when she was getting her PhD in human sexuality studies. So this whole practice arose around helping people around their sexuality. And then we just saw how intertwined sex and intimacy and emotional connection are. And we and so we really built our practice to deal with both of those things and our trainings. I've observed that for a lot of people, it feels as if all these things could be divorced from each other, right? You could have sex without emotional interaction. You could have intimacy without sex. You could have uh, emotional bond without intimacy or sex. But it feels like the Venn diagram, which is actually the, the collection of all three, has a really powerful, potent uh, mix to it. Can you say a little bit more about how you how you came to that realization or have you kind of always known? Well, I think they can all be potent even separately, you know, so I'm not against having sex for sex's sake and I'm not against having intimacy without sex. I feel like all of them are amazing explorations in and of themselves and can be an amazing exploration when you put them all together. I think when you put, you know, sex and deep emotional intimacy together, it probably creates the biggest challenge for us as well as, some of the biggest gifts because we get very, very attached when we have all of that with one person. And so it really touches our deepest fears and our deepest longings. And that's when we have to do some pretty hard work um, in order to deal with the intensity of that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That, that ocean. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like if you are into, uh, if you are emotionally and sexually intertwined with somebody, there is an interesting thing that happens where the ego kind of swells, right? And the other person becomes a part of you. Mm. And the thought of uh, being separate from that, or or even being uh, or, or losing that in a way, becomes incredibly scary and painful. Exactly. And again, that's why I think we start to focus on longevity as opposed to intimacy, because we avoid anything that might, um, might rock the boat. And then that often leads to people starting to distance and float away from each other, even though what they're trying to do is stay together. It seems sort of counterintuitive, but, um, but the more that we're able to actually share who we are intimately and tell people, you know, hey, I, I do need a little bit more distance or this thing that you're wanting me never to do is something that I do have to do in order to be myself. You know, all of those kinds of things that we don't do because we don't want to scare the other person, that those actually are how we maintain intimacy and long-term connection with someone. But the challenge is that those connections can shift. Like, you know, I was married to an amazing man for, um, I think we were married for eight years and now he lives downstairs from me with his girlfriend and we're not lovers anymore. Um, but we're best friends and we were able to shift that we have a tremendously deep intimacy and always have, because we've always been honest about 
those shifts. But I think that was my first relationship that I ever had where I had that level of honesty with someone and, and we were able to shift, stay connected even through those shifts. Yeah, I'm noticing in my body, even hearing you say that is 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 uh, triggering something. I'm I'm I can Im- I can imagine what that would be like, and I think that is something that is objectively scary to me. And I feel like there's a deep beauty in that. I feel like the very first statement you had about intimacy is is honesty, and what you're describing there is an, is a deep level of uh, uh, intimate honesty. I think that is beautiful. So it sounds like you've been on a on a really deep and expansive journey. What is the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself along this along this path? Oh wow! I mean, I feel like I've learned so many things about myself would be uh, along this path. It's hard to even. I think one of the things that has helped me the most is to look at the parts of myself that are most challenging in relationship and to understand them and to love myself, even though I have them, so that I can actually admit to the ways that they are challenging for other people, like the moments that I'm mean or vindictive or, you know, um, hot tempered or, you know, like I can't deescalate myself, those kinds of things that uh, it's been the most freeing. And maybe one of the biggest insights is to help people free themselves from the shame around those challenges so that we can face them and, and start to do things differently. But even just in that statement, in in admitting that you're occasionally mean and vindictive, that, that is a level of, of, deep honesty that even on these podcasts, we hardly rare, right? That That's itself insight that is that is quite powerful. And that's our commitment in Somatica is to not pretend that we have it all together. I feel like as teachers, one way that we can really do a disservice to students or as, as coaches to our clients is to pretend that we don't have any of those parts and they're projecting onto us this perfection and they think someday they're going to be perfect. And I think that is the least compassionate and least helpful thing a teacher can do. But if we say, hey, look, I have these parts too, and this is how I've learned to face them and be with them differently, then we can teach, and, and not perfectly, then we're teaching something that somebody can actually learn. It, it almost comes from a place of, uh, hey, these are the 10 ways I'm fucked up. and <laughs> Let's learn together. Kind of thing. <laughs> For a listener uh, to this podcast, what is something somebody can do to start this journey? Where, where do you even begin? I think all of those things that you're promising yourself that you are going to change and never do again, or that you're going to, um, you know, that you don't want to tell your partner about, those are the things that you want to start to look at right away and say, oh, these are things that are probably going to be with me maybe for the rest of my life. And, and if I can see like the little child in them and how that little child got hurt and is now reacting in this way uh, to protect themselves because they deserve protection. We all deserve protection. But sometimes those protections distance us from intimacy, right? We lose vulnerability in that moment and we start to whatever, you know, get back at people or back them off or get angry, those kinds of things, right? But if we can look at those and say, oh, I did that because I needed protection, you know, and maybe I can do something differently. Maybe I can vote for connection, but first I have to understand why I protect myself and the ways that I do it and how that impacts the people that I love to start to look at it with this gentleness as opposed to this part that we think we're going to have to dispose of in order to really be loved, which is not true. You know, we're all imperfect and lovable. Yeah. I just got this vision in my head just now of, of this big living room where all the chairs are beautiful. And one of the chairs has like a drape thrown over it. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like you just invited me to, uh, to drag the drape off that chair. Drag the drape. 
Yes, exactly. That that's a way to start that journey of um, letting go of the shame about those ways that were challenging and to start accept and see how can we be with it differently. So within the context of Somatica, then, um, how does this materialize? How do you guys uh, do that work? And, and how does that work for people? Well, I think in Somatica, what we really offer is mutual vulnerability relationship with a, within a container of safety, you know, sort of like consent and boundaries, so that people can start to practice with authentic intimacy and the tools, sort of like breaking them down step by step around, you know, feelings and needs and boundaries and um and capacity, all of those things, and to start to practice in manageable chunks and also around eroticism and arousal and what turns us on and seduction, all of that, to learn how to practice that in in sort of step-by-step ways so that we can expand our tools in the realms of emotional and erotic intimacy. Um, And we do it in mutually vulnerable connection. So we're both sharing our feelings and our arousal Uh, in both directions, as opposed to what you often see in coaching, where the one person is a little separate and kind of saying, oh, try this and try this and try this out in the world. How does that make you feel? Yeah, exactly. But we're doing it in the the session and in the training. We're practicing with mutual vulnerability. So we're practicing real intimacy in the moment. And that's how people get their sea legs around it. That's how they learn how to do it out in their life. So can you draw a picture for me what that actually looks like? Yeah. So if you're coming in and you're about to start a session, you'll sit down on my couch and I'll be sitting in my chair across from you and you'll say, hey, I feel like um, I get really shut down whenever I think of like trying to make a, a move on someone, right? And then we start to talk about like, what, what do you think shuts you down and sort of see like the history of all of that, a fear of rejection or fear that you're going to cross somebody's boundaries because you feel like you're going to hurt somebody or, you know, all, all of those, or you're afraid you're a bad guy or you don't want to be creepy, you know, like whatever the fear is that might be underlying it. And then you start to practice with getting a handle on running your erotic energy in your own body And then how do you start to connect that erotic energy with me in a way where I feel like it's very like clean and present and available, but not overwhelming, but also not completely pulled back. And so we would be practicing that step by step. Maybe you would just practice like checking me out. And I see like, are you owning yourself and not like sort of like looking like you're hiding or being creepy or picking away? You know, (laughs) like, are you looking in my eyes? Are you staying with like, I know that I whatever happens is fine. I'm not trying to get to a particular agenda or outcome. So I'm teaching you how to do that step by step. And then how do you begin touching someone from that place? And how do you escalate into deeper arousal and connection from that place? So that would be an example of a session. Yeah, that would be a number of sessions, right? We're not like jumping. Sure. Yeah. And it also feels feels like you're actually opening yourself up in a way to, um, to some really powerful experiences with people. Oh my gosh, I can't even begin to tell you. I mean, the amazingness of just like crying together and laughing together and getting turned on together and, you know, just that full acceptance over and over again with so many different humans. It makes my life so rich and full. Yeah, so I'm kind of imagining sitting sitting with a coach and being invited to experience that. That feels incredibly powerful and intimate and I'm not going to lie pretty fucking scary. Yeah, I think it is scary. And that's why we take it really slow. And I think what the feedback that I get from people is often like, wow, if I would have imagined doing this, like, it sounds 
very scary, but you make it seem so normal and comfortable, you know, and it's not like it isn't ever awkward, but it's also, you know, it's just like we make an invitation that's fully accepting and open and non-judgmental. So there's a lot of safety in the container and there's also boundaries and sort of like, an, and I'm always asking, hey, are you ready to do this? Do you want to try this? It's never any pushing or pressure. And sometimes it's just talk, but sometimes there is that deepening into, you know, mutual arousal or touch or emotional intimacy where we would share like feelings back and forth. Do you work mostly with people one-on-one or do you work with couples or small groups or? All. So we work with individuals and couples and then we have our big training, our core training, um, which we teach once a year. And that's like four, four day modules over about six months. And then we have a group of 90 people in a room together and we're teaching the tools and we're demonstrating them. And then everybody's practicing with each other and they have go back to their small groups and they process emotionally with their group leader. So we have, and that's for both personal and professional development. So we have all of these different permutations and ways for people to learn. And for some people, it's just much better to have that one-on-one. Some people want to do it with their partner and other people really want that reflection multiplied over many people, uh, because it's a very, it's a fast track to seeing all of your stuff is when you sit in front of one person, then another person, then another person, you're like, Oh, wow, look at that's me. Cause that keeps happening. You know? <laughs> so it can be really powerful to do, yeah. do the training for that reason. Yeah. I, I recently had a, a, um, high event, um, where I just kept having all these incredibly deep and powerful connections with people. And the ways that happened was always really surprising to me, mm. not because there was a big connection, but because these connections were incredibly different in nature, they all felt so different. And so, you know, it's almost as if they were completely different musical genres. Mm. And I didn't know I had half of that within me. Does that ring true with the work you do as well? Yeah, I do feel like what it offers people is an opportunity to explore a bunch of different parts of themselves, maybe that they've never touched into before because of like fear or hesitance. And they get to meet all of these different parts of themselves with a lot of, we do a lot of de-shamifying. That's what we call it, where we help people let go of the, the shame and awkwardness that comes up in a moment when you're trying something new that's out of your realm of experience. That gives people a lot of opportunity to meet different parts of themselves. So I imagine that in doing this teaching work, you actually learn a lot about yourself as well. Is that right? Constantly. And, you know, doing this work for all of these years reminds me always to be the best person I can be right to, to go, you know, to go towards my ideals, even though I can't do it perfectly. Uh, but it's an ama- teaching is an amazing and ongoing reminder and it's changed my life completely to do this work for all of these years. So how do your own relationships works uh, work right now? If you don't mind me asking. Not at all. Um, I am, I just call it dating. So I did uh, what I call primary possessive partnership for many, many years, mostly in open relationships, but sometimes in monogamy. And what I realized about myself is that when I get very focused on one person and trying to achieve longevity, my abandonment trauma becomes very aggravated. And when I go slowly and date multiple people and try not to consolidate into some sort of it's just you and me and we're going to do this forever feeling, I actually stay way more balanced. And I can say that, you know, in comparison to the last year that I was in primary possessive partnership, where I was probably triggered 200 days out of that year. Now, 
I'm triggered 10 days out of the year or 20 days out of the year. So it's been a huge leap to me to shift my approach to relationship um, to, to lower that trauma. And I take in so much more intimacy and love and plus have just amazing sex. Uh, so it's, it's been really powerful. I am, I'm feeling a deep uh, admiration and love for you right now, because it feels like you are in a, in a situation where you're able to have been very, where you have been very honest with yourself and chosen uh, a, a path that is, uh, in full integrity with yourself. That's where, that's what I feel. Yeah. And with others, because, you know, when I was in my abandonment trauma all the time, it impacted my partners, right? Because they are feeling like this person who's demonized and, you know, confused, not knowing how to soothe me. Um, so it was impacting me and them. And those are all people that I love so much. And I didn't want, that wasn't the part of myself that I wanted to be connecting with them. You know, like, I wanted the part of myself that's just like feels all of the love that I have for them and is able to receive all of the love that they're giving to me. It's so much more fulfilling. You know, when I, when I was in abandonment trauma, that was all blocked. What does that trauma feel like to you? How does that hit you and where does it come from? Oh my goodness. When it feels like somebody might be leaving me, it's like if you have like a taser and you just put it against somebody's flesh, <laughs> like, how do I get the fuck away from this as fast as possible? You know, it's like your whole body is... Um, my whole body is like, um, it's just like shaky, like the very core of my stability is shaken. And so I have no ground to stand on that's safe. Um, and, 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 and my imperative at that moment is just like, get out of this feeling. It doesn't matter what you have to burn down. It doesn't matter what you have to do. Just get out of this feeling. And I think that is what trauma feels like, which is why people are avoiding certain experiences because they just never want to have that feeling again. And, um, and I also think we have this terrible idea in our society that like somehow we can just completely resolve our trauma. But I don't see that's what happens. I see what happens is that we can learn how to live a life that is full and rich and not avoiding, but also really takes account of our trauma so that we're not getting re-triggered over and over again. So we become empowered around our trauma as opposed to thinking, oh, we're going to be able to just completely get rid of this. Thank you for that description. That was um, rarely vivid uh, in terms of <laughs> what trauma actually feels like. And, and thank you for the vul vulnerability in, in sharing that. Sure, my pleasure. You've talked a fair amount about how you individually have uh, worked on your own challenges and how you're working with others. Um, how does community fit into this for you? Um, you know, I mean, I think that's the gift that, of Somatica that I just didn't even really predict, which is that by doing this work and especially doing it in uh, these big group trainings, it just created this amazing community. That wasn't even the, the intentional part was to just help people get all of these tools. But unintentionally, then I become part of this amazing community of people who are being vulnerable with each other, supporting and loving each other unconditionally, not shaming themselves or each other. And so there's this amazing community that's built around Somatica where um, I just see people like I get to see on Facebook, oh, this group of people who came from Somatica from all these different years is getting together for a camping trip or they're flying to go to a workshop together. Or they're teaching a workshop together or and, and that's been such, you know, such an amazing blessing because uh, I get to be with these beautifully vulnerable people and I get to see the ways that they are supporting each other out in the world. 
I'm working as a coach as well at the moment, uh, much more uh, pedestrianly uh, on as a business coach. Mm. But the the forever fear I have is that all the one to one work just doesn't scale because ultimately you're only working with one human. And of course, there's some ripples that go deeper into the world, but there is a very there's a very real limitation to how much you can do. And it feels like, especially with the group work you're doing, you've you've cracked that nut. You've been able yeah. to have a much broader impact on on the wider world. Was that part of a, a planned approach as well? Or is that just kind of something that happened to you? I think what happened was, you know, Danielle and I were getting so many requests for clients and we couldn't even meet them all. And we thought, oh my gosh, there's so much need out there. <laughs> like, and we wanted to meet it. So we were completely workaholic and we're like, we need to train other people so that we can send these clients to them and, yeah. and other people can help. And so, you know, it was intentional in that sense. And then again, it just started to grow and grow. And and teaching, for me, teaching a big group is like, that's my own personal heaven. I, I kind of consider myself maybe more a philosopher than anything else. Um, and I love sharing philosophy that I feel like takes away so much of the pain of being human and offers so much of the pleasure of being human. That's what I want to bring. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you feel that uh, your life the way it is now is is fulfilling that goal are you are you on the right path oh my goodness it's the best it's ever been i'm i'm like i can hear so much joy in your voice (laughs) i barely even can cry i mean i cry like i cry when i'm empathizing with someone but i so rarely cry about my life anymore because there's just so much abundance and beauty and fulfillment and and it's been a long intense path as i'm sure you can hear from my story and in my voice um and certainly people have dealt with way more challenging paths because at least I had that foundation of love from my parents at the beginning you know some people miss out on that and then you have to really go from the beginning with giving them that love but um but it's been an amazing path and I feel like I finally am fully honoring who I am and what I need to thrive as opposed to imagining that I'm supposed to fit into some kind of one size fits all approach which I don't believe in at all I want to help every person find their perfect approach. So we, you mentioned something earlier on that, that really struck a chord with me, and that's that humans in general, and maybe this country in, in particular, is pretty broken about um, sexuality and intimacy in general. Um, do you have any thoughts about how the hell that happened? I mean, you know, I think we are, we are a country that was founded on religious fundamentalism. And unfortunately, so many religions have such negativity around sex. And so we have the symbol of the female as the slut and you know, all of this disempowerment comes foundationally from, I think, women being robbed of their sexual power, which is such a beautiful part of who they are. And then men end up perpetrators and women end up victims. And we're in this like protective mode, you know, and, and it's not, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, But I do feel like, you know, and then there's just so much shame. Like there's just certain kinds of sex that are okay to have and not okay. We just wrote a book, uh, coming together, um, coming together, embracing your core desires for sexual fulfillment and long-term compatibility. And that's really helping people embrace their erotic mind, their, their internal erotic understanding of themselves, um, and de-shamify it and deeply accept who they are, even if they don't, even if the way that they want to have sex doesn't look at all like what you see on the big screen. Do you have an example of that, of, of how that comes to, um, to, to life in people's, in, uh, in people's worldviews and uh, in the way they express themselves sexually? You mean how our, our desires are shaped? 
Yeah. Yeah. And then that's, that's entirely what the book is about. I mean, but, and a lot of it is about like really finding out what those are and accepting them. But, but on a foundational level, you know, nobody has a perfect experience as a child. And as a result of that, we start to fantasize and imagine other options. And at some point those fantasies get paired with masturbation and become sexual. So these sort of missing experiences or core wounds shape our deepest erotic desires, maybe to be seen or to be held or, or even to have sort of some kind of repetition of something bad that happened with some agency around it, like punishment or, um, you know, being, uh, ignored and then you triumph by getting or something like that. And so our core desires get shaped by those experiences. And then what we call our hottest sexual movies, the ways that we want to play out those desires also get shaped by our life experiences and our, our environment. And when we really dial down and find out what do we want to feel during sex and how do we want to play that out with a partner and we're able to embrace it and share it with someone else, you know, that's what the whole book is about. And that's what, that's what we help our clients do and our students do all the time because it maximizes the level of intense pleasure and arousal that you can get during sex that you don't get if you're just like, oh, I think I'm supposed to do it this way. So I will, you know? Right. Absolutely. Like an Ikea catalog uh, or Ikea uh, instructions. Exactly. Yeah. So we want to really get to the deep, the deep longings, the things that you want to feel like I want to feel special, you know, and that comes from my wounds. Um, it's a place of feeling powerful yeah, and, and, and like somebody's going to stay because I'm so amazing, you know, so it touches it heal some of that abandonment fear and and um and if i'm having sex that doesn't touch on that specialness it's kind of i mean it's okay i can probably squeeze out a couple orgasms i'm pretty good at doing that but it is not mind-blowing the way you describe this strikes me very uh therapeutic you're actually uh grabbing something by the horns (laughs) forgive the pun and um and really choosing to lean into your taboos and your fears and your and your vulnerabilities in order to, uh, I don't know, use that as a lever for, for excitement and for play. Yeah. Excitement and play and healing. It can all come at the same time. This is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all this with me. I've got a couple of more questions for you. Um, and the most important one is what question have I not asked you yet that you wish I had asked? Oh, that's always a stumper for me. Uh, <laughs> probably just like, what's my website? <laughs> Where can people learn more about what you do? Exactly. So that I don't forget to tell people how they can find out how to get the nice Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, my website is somaticainstitute.com. Somatica with an A at the end. Uh, somatic means of the body because our work is very experiential. Um, and that's where you can find out all about the training. But honestly, I feel like you have asked such beautiful and in-depth questions and I have felt really um, seen in, in my expression. So I don't have a lot of missing questions. I am deeply intrigued and I'll definitely uh, take a closer look. I think the idea of doing the the big group uh, learning about this sounds absolutely wonderful. And I feel like deeply kind of drawn to that from a not even from an erotic place, I think, but from a uh, from a uh, intimately intellectual place, almost. Yeah. It, it sounds deeply intriguing to me. Yeah, right. Like you just want to geek out on it. I know. I'm with you. Uh, and I have one final question that we love to leave people with because it's just such a beautiful thing to to know about somebody. What is the one song that you can't not dance to? Oh wow! Almost any song from the eighties. Eighties. That's that's when I was, you know, springing into my erotic self, and so I think all of those songs have particularly visceral uh, 
feeling for me. Um, and there's a lot of joy, you know, even the song like Girls Just Want to Have Fun, honestly, by Cindy Lauper. If you listen to the lyrics, it's actually like a feminist statement. She's saying, yeah. she's saying some people take a beautiful girl and hide her away from the rest of the world. I want to be the one to walk in the sun. You know, like that's that's an amazing sentiment um, in a in a pretty silly sounding song. So <laughs> I really get into the lyrics of it, but that, you know. The- that's how they sneak it past you, you know, they kind of get under your skin and you sing along and suddenly you go, wait a minute. <laughs> She's saying something important here. <laughs> She's also a philosopher. <laughs> For more information about the Human Awareness Institute or our workshops, visit our website at hi.org. That's H-A-I.org. Thank you so much for listening to May I Have This Dance. It was a pleasure to have you with us. See you soon. Bye-bye.